We are calling. Oh. Hello, Mike. Oh, Dad. <laughs> you're you're on speech, guys. Um. Oh, and Hi, Mom is there too. Lovely. So hello, I, hello. This is our first double introducer. This is great. Wow, <laughs> two of them. I surprised Landon and Matt by not telling who was going to introduce the episode until right then. So they are as they're uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with the uh, the thrills of the moment here. So thank, thanks very much for doing this. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> I think you guys did a really nice job of curating um, films or stories when we were growing up that just had this, like, really nice sort of activity of adventure and attention to certain, like, moral codes. You know, I'm thinking of things like Indiana Jones, Rocky, of course, Back to the Future. Can you guys, like, identify that with anything, like, going on in your minds when we all went to Mr. Video to pick movies? Uh, Well, obviously, to your point, we wanted something that would not just hold your attention, you know, with, you know, adventure, but also that would not morally corrupt you. (laughs) (laughs) That we felt comfortable in you watching and absorbing, you know, things things that sort of reflected our own values. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, do you have something to add that? No, no, I, I have nothing <laughs> to add that your mom's uh, described it very well. Right? Okay. The second, the second reason that I thought you guys would be a, a great uh, presenter of the episode is obviously the films take place in what year, Mom and Dad? The 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 like. Oh, let me put it this way: the first year he goes back in time to what? What year is that? Nineteen eighty-five. No, no. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, right. Starts in nineteen eighty-five. Um, right, nineteen eighty-five. So. Um, Marty's parents, uh, Lorraine and George, they're, I know they're a little bit older than you. They were in high school in the story when dad was probably just out of diapers. Mom was in diapers in the fall of 1955, but my mom is pretty advanced for her age. She might have been out of diapers already after, uh, <laughs> after that. Um, so when you guys saw the film, um, What's were there was there anything like from your like childhood that or growing up in Belleville, since you guys both grew up in Belleville, Illinois, uh any particular like images or memories that you remember to sort of like coming to you when you saw that kind of landscape and that sort of life recreated on the screen? I think I was particularly impressed with the nostalgia of the whole thing. You know, being those years, early years of our lives, you know, the music, you know, brought back happy memories of of uh, watching my mom and dance to some of the music that they they played, you know, on the on the uh, jukeboxes and and in the mm-hmm. band. And I guess that was uh, particularly uh, of uh, enjoyable memories of watching, you know, watching that uh, in, in the the early version of the very first version of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, to, to your point, Michael, it's like Dad and I, it's like we don't, obviously don't remember 1955, but certainly a lot of that same culture existed well into the 60s. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's always fun to see visions of that, you know, memories right. of that, I can say. Mm. Yeah. Landon, Matt, do you guys have anything to uh, to add here to the question intro session? Did you like talk about the movies after they were done and highly curated? Yeah, I don't recall originally if we did. Uh, long ago, but I have to admit we both. <laughs> Uh, at least number one and number three over the past week, just to sort of uh, <laughs> waken our our uh, memories and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I I did say that I was going. The first two questions or points I brought up, I did not tell you I was going to bring up, but I did warn you of this one, so I feel compelled to ask it. Uh, favorite <laughs> favorite quote of the films. <laughs> Rich. If this has any merit at all, I couldn't help but be uh, appreciative of some of the early electronics that was in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the readouts on that and the car there, which dated, provided the, the date and the year. I couldn't help but think of the early days when I was working back in the 70s of the digital readout on the uh, car's uh, uh, dashboard as opposed to today where all it's all LEDs, you know. Mm. And, and mm. I, I couldn't help but be attracted to that one particular item that was in the car, which really dates itself relative to uh, time past. Okay. Mom, do you have a quote? Michael, yeah, Michael, to answer your question, there's always one quote that has stuck in my brain uh, from... The, the third movie, and that was the whole reference to running, you know. Oh. <laughs> uh, doesn't any walk and run oh. anymore when they were in the saloon talking about, you know, future uh, automobiles. And then there was, obviously the, the response was, of course we run for recreation. And everybody laughs, run for fun. What kind of fun is that? Yeah, but um, yeah. I would say it more like, run for fun? What kind of fun is that? Exactly. <laughs> I remember Literally that. Yeah. Up my head for 30-something years, you know. <laughs> nice. I think you guys are ready to introduce us. So, Sora, how, how we're looking at – you guys can, of course, put your own spin on it. Um, you have Landon here. You have Matt. You have myself. And so just say who's on the show, say uh, what the speech is. Officially, it's the speech um, that we're calling We Don't Belong Here, given by Marty McFly and Doc Brown from Back to the Future Part 3. Okay, so the, those are that's the only two pieces of information you need to present. The rest is up to you. You got it? <laughs> you got it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> you remembered more what Make I sure you put a nice little dramatic flair to it. We are excited to present to you the speech we don't hear um, from Back to the Future 3. And we have Landon, Mike, Matt, and Michael. <laughs> there is and next. There is two mics, but only there's only one here actually. Oh. <laughs> Fantastic job! And that's when I say, cue the music. When you see the road from every direction, it will give you eyes, give you hope. It'll give you perspective. I've been back and forth, and yeah, I had my crashes. Now I've seen the road, it goes every direction. This is from Back to the Future Part 3. So, the setup context briefly they're in the Old West. Doc has been transported by Bolt of Lightning to 1885. And Marty's back gets, finds his way back there with him. Um, they are, they have figured out a way to get back to 1985, but Doc says, I ain't going with you. All right. You know what? That's actually a really great just like transition into the actual, uh, clip from the film, uh, audio that we'll play. Marty. Yeah. I've made a decision. Uh-huh. I'm not going with you tomorrow. Uh-huh. I'm staying here. What are you talking about, Doc? There's no point in denying it. I'm in love with Clara. Oh, man. Doc, we don't belong here. Neither one of us. You know, it could still be you that gets shot tomorrow. This tombstone could still be in your future. Marty. The future isn't written. It can be changed. You know that. Anyone can make their future whatever they want it to be. I can't let this one little photograph determine my entire destiny. I have to live my life according to what I believe is right. In my heart. Doc, you're a scientist. So you tell me, what's the right thing to do? Up here. Gotta tell her goodbye. Come on, Doc. Think about it. What are you gonna say to her? I gotta go back to the future? I mean, he's not gonna understand that, Doc. Hell, I'm in it with you, and I don't even understand it. Doc, listen. Maybe we can. I don't know. Maybe we can just take Clara with us. 
future? You reminded me, Marty. I'm a scientist, so I must be scientific about this. I caution you about disrupting the continuum for your own personal benefit. Therefore, I must do no less. We shall proceed as planned, and as soon as we return to 1985, we'll destroy this infernal machine. Traveling through time has become much too painful. Are we are we allowed to play it? You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm just going with it, um, since we're obviously not making money with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Hold on. So why there's like nine hours of Back to the Future? Just take us from the top. What did you watch all nine hours to get to this part, or did this stick with you as like I know two two parts that I would want from this sci-fi, and you kind of discern between a couple options. What what led you here? I well, first I rewatched the last two uh, over the past two weeks. I've always loved the Back to the Future films in general more than most kids, I would say. And, you know, I probably watch this film every other year, you know, one or two of them. And Back to the Future Part 3, I think, it only has two time-traveling scenes, essentially. One where Marty goes back to 1885, and then one where he comes back to 1985. And it, it's, I think it's just more of like a film that touches on more just fundamental human sort of things. With respect to, in particular, this speech where Doc, like, clearly has no one to go back to in 1985, right? I mean, he's some, this is, of course, an interesting plot point. I mean, let's make it clear. We're not a movie podcast. So we're not going to explore this too much, but... He is some single old man who hangs out with a 17-year-old boy. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't age over 30 years. So he has got no one to go back to. But at the same time, Marty wants him in his life. And as the clip we just listened to expressed, you know, Doc, Doc sees something unknown and mysterious, but Marty wants to stick with what's comfortable, right? He wants Doc to go with 1985. That's just how it's supposed to be. Whereas Doc is feels that what is most right and most true for him would be to stay in 1885 with Clara. Um, And I think the music in these films is done by Alan Silvestri. He does such a great job. Um, he also does the music for uh, Forrest Gump as well. He partners a lot with Robert Zemeckis. And just, just the, like, acoustics in that clip you listen to, just they really bring home in just the whole, like, landscape of the Old West as well, just these questions of, like, what if. So that, like, question is core to all three of the films, of course. Um, what if and the sort of dynamics with free will that we'll talk about. And then, like, how do you know things, right? Because in that clip, Marty is trying to tell Doc, like, no, don't listen to your heart as you conceive it to be. Listen to your head. And 
you know, Doc obviously ultimately listens to his heart. So, yeah, I, I thought that this scene most powerfully sort of brings to the forefront a lot of the questions that all of the Back to the Future films sort of comment on and visit. Hmm. What, uh, based upon what I said, like, does any of that stick out to you guys when you remember watching the Back to the Future films growing up or more recently? Uh, I think, I think growing up, it was the first introduction to the sci-fi concept of time travel, and um, I had probably never been introduced to it before seeing it, and then, yeah, it just uh, allows you to be really imaginative to, like, wow, what if you could go back and, like, see your parents in high school, or what if you could go back 150 years to all of the places you know and see essentially what it was like before technology or the progression of time or how it was developed and um, probably seemingly basic concepts or um, thoughts now, but definitely um, this was the first time having introduced to it and really just displayed in a unique way that's been hard to replicate. I couldn't think of a great known film that has done it better than Back to the Future and it was made more than 30 years ago. Yeah, I suppose I couldn't, I don't know if I could think of uh, one that outright does it better, I guess. Besides maybe Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I think that's like yeah, that's up there, I think, in terms of time travel movies. Um, honestly, I, I don't know if I was as, ever as familiar with the third one as the first. The first is the one that definitely sticks out. Um, I think I just kind of related to the story. Not that I was, like, bullied in high school, but I don't know. Went to a big high school, um, 1,100 kids in my graduating class, and, like, definitely felt uh, lost in the shuffle, you know? So I kind of related to that narrative of... Um, Marty's dad, you know, kind of summoning courage to, you know, stand up for himself and, you know, make himself known in some way. So, um, but yeah, honestly, the third movie, I didn't, I didn't get to watch it this week, but, and that's, I don't know. I, I know I've seen it, but it's been, uh, it's been a decent while. Um, yeah, I guess the, uh, the first one is the one that really sticks out, um, in detail, but. Do you guys remember like, you know, more so, like, college years, encountering, well, let me put it this way, prior to this outline in this podcast episode, I mean, were you familiar with the hypothesis, if you will, that free will is an illusion? Yeah, I think a long, long trot philosophical debate that I brushed up on a little to to prepare for this. Um, how would you like to dive into free will? Well, I mean, I think it's just sort of fun to hear about like our first encounter because I I definitely remember in college um, beginning to like uh, experiment with the dark corners of the internet <laughs> with these kinds of things where um whether it's the, the Philadelphia experiment or free will is an illusion. 
And yeah, I remember it is one that's brought up a lot. I remember it was some article about how if you scan someone's brain, you can, you know, in the appropriate way, then you have the ability to, that you know what they are going to choose before they choose, right? Um, and, and that was brought up again today in the podcast I listened to with uh, Sam Harrison, Lex Friedman. Um, yeah, I remember hearing that for the first time and being like, rock. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, just feeling mm, stiff, actually, almost, as you sort of, like, wrestle with that idea, you know. But at the same time, it's hard to – and Sam Harris actually did a really good job in this podcast of expressing it. Um, so many things, whether it's free will or the existence of God, you know, we, we act like – the 21st century is the first time that people are like asking these questions and it's really not. It's, I mean, the, the, the father that you use to talk about the questions has changed for sure. But yeah, whether or not they've been questions, I think have existed since the beginning of time. I mean, some of the points Sam Harris brought up today against free will. Yeah. You could have come up with them uh 10,000 years ago, you know, even as a caveman. Before let's before we go further, I would just be curious how how to jump from this scene and back to the future to free will. Let's 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 build that bridge a little. Well, because yeah, I mean, I I simply say the most accurate way is <laughs> it seems so obvious to me, um, and maybe this is just as far as I can, you can can maybe try to give it a better shot, but. It's the whole premise of the films, obviously, is that they're changing the future um, on the premise of people being free to do what they want. And even though they're obviously not invoking the concept to the same, like, comprehensive way that Sam Harris is, you know, um, it's still an interesting idea that they play with. Because even though we're not traveling through time to affect outcomes of our lives and others we're still like very much immersed in that whole idea of what you can what you can change or what you could have changed you know i did i presented a thought experiment to you guys like okay rewind and sam harris did bring this one up as well okay rewind the clock of the universe are you going to really do something different in the past without the knowledge of the present? Like, I don't know. It's hard to make an argument that you would. And so, ergo, does that mean that free will does not exist? Um, so, anyway, that didn't, that, yeah, that's about the best I think I can do to, to bridge that gap. So, yeah, well, yeah. So, go ahead, Matt. Go wait, ahead. I was Matt. gonna say, doesn't, um, what's his name? Doc, doesn't Doc have like a term for it that he used? Like you'll disrupt the space time continuum. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so like, I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty straightforward way to describe it. The space time, you know, whatever that, or the, I guess like a another, you know, be the butterfly effect or yeah, interesting, relevant way. Does does our does the does our free agency carry, as the movie implies, some sort of 
space-time continuum weight to it. Now, the, okay, okay, yeah, this was good. This was good. Um, I know there's a This American Life episode on it, and I know there's a website on it, too, where, like, you, quote-unquote, create a new universe with every decision you make. You guys have heard of this? I haven't, no. Yeah, it's this thing where it's like you click yes or no, just completely arbitrarily. And so let's say you click yes. Well, that means that there has to have been in some other universe where you clicked no. Why? Well, someone would have to, who understood the concept of multiverses, would be able to explain that. But I think it's something to the effect of that everything that could exist has to exist. I I think it would be something along that line. But anyway, the point that's more relevant here is that even that concept, which is at least rooted completely in scientific thought, even if it's not what's actually the case, it's still rooted in scientific thought, even that is still attributing some sort of, like, objective weight to agency, Mm -hmm. to decision-making, just like Doc. Yeah, if I had to try to explain it, it's time and outcomes have happened. They're now 85 to 55, 55 to 15, 15 to 1885. You know, they're like three or four iterations deep into outcomes of their time traveling escapades. And, yeah, in that point, in the third movie, with people disappearing on and off pictures, them knowing the events of the future, hinging on, do they go back, do they stay, do they take this person with them? Um, In this conversation, they are still able to try to weigh all of those things and have a fork in the road left or right um which would mean that free will is heavily on their shoulders i suppose um and they don't know all the ramifications in the moment or later that would occur perhaps i don't know breaking down the space-time continuum and dissolving them into a million little little pieces it isn't determined. It's it's more like it's more of like indeterminate than free will, maybe. Certainly free will. Go ahead. So Matt, we haven't heard from you any uh juvenile encounters with the concept of free will as an illusion. Yeah, no, I, re- I definitely remember having some type of discussion like that. And it wasn't me, but um and this wasn't even uh, anyone who had beliefs even close to mine, but he was just thought it was stupid that this other guy uh, was skeptical of free will. So he just like uh, like smacked him and was like, "Oh, sorry, I didn't have a choice. Like, whatever, you know." Just kind of one of those idiot college art, you know, not like an argument, but I don't know. I think it kind of got a element of it across in that. Um, which actually, I think this was referenced in the, I forget which article, is the Scientific American or the Atlantic, but um, just how like important free will is to just a society functioning. Um, 
he obviously didn't make that argument as intelligent as intelligently as they did. But I think it got that you know, like, oh, like, well, this. I mean, he wasn't saying this, but in his actions kind of spoke to the, um, like, this is just totally not our experience, and and there's some weight to that, even though like you can try to dismiss it and describe it away. Um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting point. That's another good way of thinking about the example that was brought up in the Atlantic article regarding cheating on tests. Matt, why don't, why don't you explain that? And I think we can sort of keep running with this uh, particular dimension of the idea. Yeah, so um, an article about in the Atlantic about, um, I think it was just titled, There's No Such Thing as Free Will. But there were a range of studies, um, one of which was when asked to take a math test uh, with cheating made easy, the group primed to see free, uh, to, the group who is likely to see free will as an illusion proved more likely to take uh, basically to cheat. Um, when given an opportunity to steal, they took more money than they were due from an envelope of $1 coins. Uh, those who believe in, uh, who believe in free will, um, who that believe, uh, yeah, free will is, is no longer, uh, yeah, just took more. Um, on a range of measures, let's see. And then there is later on in the article, it says the list goes on. Believing that free will is an illusion has, be, uh, has been shown to make people less creative, more likely to conform, less willing to learn from their mistakes, less grateful toward one another. In every regard, it seems uh, when we embrace determinism, we indulge our dark side. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just not – which I was kind of surprised, <laughs> surprised that, like, all of these uh, – as much as science has been used, I think, to debunk the idea of free will um, – yeah, I mean, there's also a lot of, I guess, scientific, you know, even as much as, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say scientific reasons to maybe not believe in it, but at least to identify that it's a meaningful part of human experience. And I don't know if that, I think it's just how meaningful it is, I think almost is an argument for its existence. Like how could something that influences everyone so dramatically and in such a way that is universally seen as a positive, like how would that not exist in some way? You know, I know it's not an ironclad proof, but yeah. yeah no, I, I think there is a lot to that. Um, so Sam Harris uh, made a really interesting point that I want to, that that all fits in the same sort of, um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just express his point. So he, he put it this way. So uh, the question was posed to him, what would you need to see in the world as evidence that would convince you that free will exists? And he said nothing. There is no, nothing I can even come up with that would convince me of its existence. In contrast with something like, what would I need to see to believe in ghosts? That's the example he used. Well, you know, we can all think of something like that. Well, I'd need to see something like wispy in the air or something, and, you know, maybe you'd get a recording, or you need to encounter a billion people, something like that. Or what do I need to see to believe in a flat earth or anything like you right we we can all like logically think of those things but free will 
and like I admittedly like agreed with him like on this point like I I cannot conceive in this like really tidy way of what you would observe to be like true free will. And I there has been like I know on the Michael Shermer podcast something there are people who have like attempted to articulate what that might look like neurologically. But for the sake of discussion and from what I remember of it, it obviously was not too compelling. But what you said, Matt, is really powerful that you have this like flat earth. Okay. No one, I would argue that no one is believing in a flat earth and they're performing at a higher level in their relationship system because of that. Now, maybe you could make the argument that because Maybe they also happen to be, uh, you know, particularly devout Christians and the rest of their life is better. Okay, well, maybe I'll believe that. But it's not specifically because they believe in a flat earth. Whereas this study that you're referencing is specific to free will. Even though they cannot conceive of it in the way that Sam Harris is getting that, like some sort of clear cut, this is what it is. Yet the fact that I would presume that every culture has a word for it, free will, yet we can't nail down what it exactly looks like, yet it has this profound effect on one's own life and the the vitality of society. Like, yeah, like if, okay, so it may, you, let's agree or disagree. Belief in free will, whether or not free will is true, makes a human more human. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. If a plant is not capable of using uh, carbon dioxide to build itself up, would not one argue that, oh, it's really not fully expressing its plant nature, right? Like, if all plants just sucked and they just, there's like these withered little things like we wouldn't really call them plants they'd be like these these unnoticeable little crumples of biomass or something right they'd be like nothing I'll, I'll stop there i i didn't close the argument as tidy as i want but maybe you guys see something there that that's interesting and is uh coherent it's it's just it's affirming your point, Matt, in just different words that yeah. there is something to that. Mm-hmm. It's it sort of reminds me of yeah, like um, the things that are like true, how like yeah, the different kinds of truth in the world. Yeah. So they're not a plant because they're withered an exception and not the the truest nature of the thing yeah and this is actually sort of an interesting like floating away into like um the aristotelian forms right where it's like a plant being a plant like that's not just something we observe it's or not something that's just there. It's also like it strikes. It's something very particular inside of us. 
that makes us feel a certain way. Like, right, you feel a certain way when you're in a park or a national forest or something. It's like no one walks into a national forest and feels like they just ate a pizza. No, they feel something like of what we can all describe. If if every person on the planet had to write a 100-word essay about walking into a national forest, they're going to be within the same range. But if you had one person who wrote about how they just ate a pizza, like that's just that's just like a different sort of ballpark. Um <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think what you're speaking to is just like I guess the um, I don't know. I suppose like there's more credibility than might meet the eye to just like our experience in life, you know. And we can like trust that, yeah. And we can trust it. I think, um, which I think it, which I, I know there are a couple like kind of epistemology points in, in that were brought up in this dialogue specifically, but I think also just more general and generally in relation to time travel. But um, like we live in a world where things mean things. And if you were going to completely strip those into like strip it down to just like a material kind of underbelly, which it seems to be like the root of a lot of like the anti-free will arguments, right? Like brain scans and, neurochemistry and whatever else um but at the same time like I, I remember so this was an analogy used in a book uh by a guy named luigi giussani called the religious sense um or it's in it might have been in one of the because there's two i think books in this seek that are in a, in that series three but well two more yeah two more books in that series but in one of those, I remember distinctly this analogy of, like, so let's say a, a coworker of yours has flowers on her desk, right? And you've seen her desk every day, but, you know, this on this day there's flowers, and there aren't usually. So you might ask her, like, where the, car, the flowers come from. So she could, in a very true and honest way say oh they came from the ground they came from the flower store from a farm from seeds from you know a collection of atoms that started with a higgs boson particle a billion years ago right so she could say all of that and be accurate kind of snobby <laughs> but accurate you know but like she's missing the like just like the human experience of like flowers you know, or like you brought up Aristotle earlier, Mike, like the Aristotelian, like flowers have a certain nature and that's like not really deniable. Um, and then like from that nature, there might be different cultural contexts, right? Um, certain flowers might mean certain things like roses kind of are particularly romantic versus, you know, other flowers might kind of have a more, um, I don't know, childish or whimsical type of feel to it. Um, but either way, like there's this experience of flower that sure you can deny, but it also makes you a freaking moron, <laughs> you know, or just like an intolerable asshole, you know? And, um, yeah. So like a more human way would be like, Oh yeah, my husband sent me these flowers. It's our anniversary. And like this kind of leads to this like flourishing human relationship and kind of a deepening of knowledge of one another. But, um, but yeah, so I guess like in a similar way, I think um, 
yeah, I guess to me that, yeah, it's, it seems almost childish to like dismiss free will via brain scans. Um, I don't know if you guys ever done the thought experiment of if we were to, if we were to, if we were all to sort of just lean into Sam Harris, and I went over demon. I, I've spoken uh, positively of Sam Harris on another uh, podcast. I, I like a lot of things he says, but he, he'd appreciate our uh, our antagonism here. Um, if we were all to say that, yeah, let's let's all really lean into what Sam Harris says. Free will does not exist, um, and so it's important for us to do the work to rid ourselves of that illusion. Like, what would that look like? from an elementary to a collegiate setting. Um, and even if it's not free will, just let's you know, even say, like, God not existing. If we were to codify that in the same way that for centuries we codified God's existence or codified free will or codified any other sort of, like, um, philosophical truths like what would that look like have you guys done that thought experiment before Hmm. not in particular to free will so well like i said expand it to any uh yeah yeah or nihilism or yeah anything and here here's sort of things like that i see in my um in my head in my imagination it's you would have you'd have these schools developing where you have your Sam Harris's teaching the kids and there'd be kids you know, obviously some kids who are drinking it like Kool Aid, just like anything. You know? People drink Kool Aid of any uh sort of uh faith group. Um but then there'd be also be kids asking questions like <laughs> why is it then that when Steve over here, he believes in free will, and he does better on his test than me, who believes in what you're teaching. Like, that doesn't make any sense, Mr. Harris. Like, or why is it that Steve over here is more generous with his things, but most of us people who accept the fact that we can't control our destiny, it just is what it is, um, tend to be more selfish with things, right? And so then Sam Harris would go through some like, well, it's because of this and that. You can just sort of like imagine this like earnestly explaining and trying to convince the students in much the same way as Ben in like the other sort of end sort of end of things. <laughs> Is there anything about that visual metaphor that that sticks out to you? I, I, well, I think the element of that is that I know Sam, well, at least um, from what I understand, Sam Harris doesn't see like determinism and fatalism as like the same thing. So like, I think it, and I think it is a valid argument um, that they aren't and, and, um, and that your personal responsibility still matters in the world or that you maybe not, I don't know if you would describe it as responsibility, but your decisions matter. Um, And even though they are 
in some sense determined, um, they still matter. So um, it's almost like a, I mean, I think it's a similar conundrum as like a predestination thing um, that like you could be predestined, but you don't know which way you're predestined. So behave as if you're predestined for something good, you know, for, for heaven or, you know, and that's if we're talking like the religious sense of the word or, or just something good. And if you're talking about a more secular sense of the word, um, which I think, I don't know, might be a valid thing. Like, but at the same time, I mean, our experience says something, you know, says something different, you know, that and just exactly what those science experiments kind of mentioned. But, um, but I'm curious where he, I guess, where he would get that from, because I guess at least with Christianity, like the, because I, I mean, I would say even Catholicism holds some level of predestination, like there's kind of this, this mysterious kind of relationship between predestination and, and freedom. Um, but, uh, but I guess that seems to be grounded in like the mysteriousness of God and his divinity. And I guess I'm not sure where Sam Harris kind of gets how, like what he uses to like separate the two, you know, I don't know if that was brought up in the debate or not. Like how, how determ how does determinism not lead to fatalism? I guess I'm just curious on like the nuances of his thought on that. How would you even how just uh how would you even classify the anti free will Sam Harris determinism? Um, what's the anti free will stance? Um, I, I think the simplest explanation they gave that I can remember goes like this: um, Did you create? Did you choose your genes? No. Did you choose your parents? No. Did you choose all the circumstances that put you in your moment now? Well, okay, that's a trickier one because the closer you get to the moment now, the more control right. it at least feels like you have. Yeah. Um, and so the answer, well, he would say no. And he, in fairness, he explained it pretty well in other ways. Um, so therefore, even though it feels like in this very moment you have free will, then it's just, it's impossible. You can't, you can't have it since you control nothing up to, up to this point. Again, he does a much better job, but something right. along those lines. So does he like use it for any call to action? One, he recognized as we discussed, um, our younger selves going probably uh, laying awake in fear that night when we went to bed and we read that article about free will being an illusion. He did say, if you don't like this and it scares you, stop listening right now. Because one of those articles that we were reading for this said that, yeah, some people do get freaked out reading about this idea, understandably. Um, so he recognized that. Second, yeah, what it leads to, he recognized in himself that it did cultivate a certain liberation. He did emphasize that, yeah, it makes me a less hateful person because Joe Blow, who goes and shoots out in elementary school, well, he's really just like 
a virus or a hurricane. You know, they, those things really cannot, in the most objective sense, control everything leading up to that moment. And so it, it makes you a less hateful person. Um, so that, that's basically where he was getting that in terms of the like meaningful come away. Are you uh, convinced by that argument that it has the capacity to make you a less hateful person? I can see it, maybe. I think it reminds me of the Father Zosima conversation a little bit. Um, and just the idea of like infinite responsibility. Because because there is there is a lot that's out of your control. And there's a lot that is... A lot of things that you have no idea that are influencing you are influencing you, you know. Um, and that's something that I, I mean, I struggle with as a PT because, you know, you have folks coming in with like chronic pain that's probably influenced by like a million other things, both physical, psychological, social, and like there's only so much you can do. <laughs> you know, you kind of feel helpless sometimes in that regard. But, um, but then like, um, but at the same time, I, I think that's an interesting idea, too, with the infinite responsibility, you know, that the Father Zosima conversation brought up. Because um, it seems to cut both ways. Like, there's one, you know, like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're kind of subject to all these influences that the world provides. And I think that's, um, that much, I think, is a valid argument um, and something we do need to consider um, that, you know, I think a valid point Sam Harris makes is that, yeah, like we can be less hateful if we consider everyone's influences. Um, yeah, you sort of come to the same conclusion from uh, a different angle, but the same angle too at the same time. What does Jordan Peterson have to do with this? Yeah, Mike, did you did you see Jordan Peterson or something? Didn't you meet him? Last Thursday? No, does he, uh, does he? two weeks ago. Wait, really? I, th- I thought that was like a facetious comment in your notes. No, <laughs> he's he's touring right now. He's going to be in Peoria in like a week. Are you kidding me? He's coming to Peoria? Yeah. Dude, I'm looking this up now. Um, yeah, this is sort of painful now, seeing how excited you are. I had an extra ticket. I would have sold you for like a dollar. You dog. <laughs> Except... The thing was, it was on Holy Thursday. I didn't, mm-hmm. me and my friend Steven didn't check the schedule until um, after we, because this was like back in February or January. Um, but but it was good. He did not talk about free will. He talked about ideology uh, or ideology, as us Americans say. Um, so it, it was all right. It was some stuff you heard before. Here's one bit that would be good to put in the podcast. Um, you know, so obviously he brings up things like responsibility, and th- this was at the Stiefel Theater in St. Louis, um, and there were, you know, obviously they got popcorn and drinks and such, uh, at the theater there for the show, and, you know, as we're leaving, you know, one just takes note of all of the popcorn and drinks that are left in the seats. Like, were you people listening to anything? <laughs> Clean your room. Just, just not your seat at the yeah. 
And it's disconcerting, too. Um, and not just ironic, because it's like, how many people are listening to Jordan Peterson just as, like, entertainment, essentially? Like, you're just the same piece of garbage who is watching the 14-year-old girl who is great at a Britney Spears impression. I don't know if that TikTok exists. It probably does. <laughs> but, right, exactly. But, like, what differentiates them at that point? Because I bet that the Jordan Peterson fan who leaves popcorn in their seats thinks pretty highly of himself. I'm going to say himself because it's much more likely. <laughs> than the girl who's watching the Britney Spears impersonator. And it's interesting. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I suppose this does sort of tie in because it's like, yeah, that girl watching the Britney Spears impersonator, she is at least not falsely um, proud. She's not, yeah, she she's not watching Britney Spears as if it's a moral virtue. She's just saying, right. Or my versus the person watching Jordan Peterson, and if they're not applying it, that's yeah, you're just sort of uh, it is just entertainment, yeah, yeah. Where's Jordan? Where does Jordan fall on free will? Um, the most specific thing I remember him saying on it is something to the effect of, "I've seen the arguments for it; they're pretty good, but what's the relevance of it?" Essentially. The arguments for free will or... Is in, like, you know, referencing things like the brain scan or something like that. The the science, so the, the material. The determinism or... Yeah. Okay. Hmm. But what's, what's, what does it gain you, you know? Mm-hmm. I think when you throw God in the picture, that kind of... I Honestly, I think God is the best argument against free will. Just against that, that it? God, that God exists, Ooh. I think, is the best argument against free will. <laughs> so, um, God exists. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and he created everything, he is, in some sense, in control of everything, whether you believe he, like, in real time puts his hand in and out of things or whether you believe it's just he kind of built the mechanism or built the machine and just let it run. now the machine's just running right so either way god's you know either the programmer or kind of a constant intervener um if that's the case how are, do we have any freedom at all because we're not more powerful we're not um we are certainly not divine, like we're not subject, you know, we're not eternal. So what gives? Like how do we how can we possibly choose to do anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I watched uh, all those videos or listened to all the videos that you shared sort of helping break apart this point. Um yeah, I guess just to add a little bit more dimensionality to the point here um, that we've already sort of expressed, it's like, okay, we will end up in ultimately either heaven or hell. Like, just period. Like, it, it has to be one or the other. 
I mean, even just saying that is enough to sort of, like, make you go, hold on, wait a second. Um, How? Or why? Or what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, there was... Um, I probably won't express this particularly well, but the whole idea of, like, the the first cause um, sort of uh, argument for God's existence. Okay, so let's sort of run with the idea that, and this actually metaphor is used for theistic evolution, but let's say that God is the, the pool player, and he breaks open the, uh, the triangle, whatever it's called, of balls. He sends all those balls running. If we were to say that an appropriate metaphor for consciousness and free will is that one of those balls stops, changes direction, and runs to some other hole, we'd say, okay, that's free will, that's consciousness. But then what just happened to that pool player who shot all oh, if you shot this rack of balls rack that's what it's called if you shot this rack <laughs> of balls and all of a sudden one goes the opposite direction you would say whoa i had nothing to do with that right you're you're negating the 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 first cause the first causer first mover however you want to call it first principles sure no, that's Hitch. <laughs> yeah. And in fairness to Father Gregory Pine in his interview with Matt Fred, um, Father Gregory Pine he sort of talked about something like this. And in fairness, he recognized that, yeah, you know, you really can't, you can't uh, completely uh, break this apart in a perfectly satisfying way. But, um, at the same time, and this sort of runs with the thought experiment before, like, let's just assume we start building nihilistic schools of anti-free will. <laughs> like, what what do you do with that? You can't build a family on those beliefs or a society or anything. Even, even, okay, even a, even a sit for Sam Harris picking on him but how do you build a sam harris right you, because sam harris okay okay so yeah walk with me here okay, okay sam harris he had to have gone to some kind of grade school had to have gone some sort of high school some sort of college he had to have a mom and a dad who were interested in giving him good nutrition, giving him love, so he felt like acknowledged, and all these, all these, all these different things, which are crucial for helping him along and develop in a in a holistic way, until he got to the point where he came to this truth, quote unquote, that free will does not exist. Those parents, how many people along that entire string of events would have been motivated to create the Sam Harris 
operating under the principles under which Sam Harris believes. Hmm. Sure. But, yeah, which I think is like something. <laughs> if you cannot Okay. If I were to say if I were to ask you guys to define truth, I I've been practicing this uh in the tractor <laughs> in the tractor for like the past week. And the shower. And the shower. What was that? And the shower. And the shower. Um define truth. How how would you guys define it in the most general way possible? Hmm. Are you like, Are you like conscious, conscious pilot, pilot right now, right now asking, asking us, us what, what is truth? truth? <laughs> <laughs> what does Jesus say? John twenty. <laughs> Um. Dang! Actually, I haven't thought about that in a long time. I mean, personally, I think it's like I think it's probably God's wisdom, it best represented by um the way Solomon discerned how to um what was it the two wives who were fighting over the baby like which oh sure um it's like all right i'm gonna kill it and the true mother of the baby was like no 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 the other one can have it right Mm -hmm. um it's like for it's probably i don't know you know there's there's certainly a lot of absolutism to it but there's also like as it as it applies to human matters and situational and relational and there's a lot of ambiguity but there is probably always the best or the right answer or if if god or jesus was in the moment they would do this and not that um but it's it's probably fairly hard for us to totally grasp at all times. I mean, in a general sense, which this might kind of just beg another question, I would say like conformity with reality. Like does something conform to reality? But then it's like, well, what is reality and who determines that? And, you know, I guess that's kind of another question that's, that's begged. But like, well, I think Landon mentioned something just about like referring to like God's wisdom. Like if he is the first cause, kind of like we mentioned earlier with some of the other arguments, then like what follows from that is that like he kind of is this source or kind of, you know, truth. Okay, so here here's here's how I would define it. The the capacity to articulate what you observe and use that as a model to predict the future. That's your definition of truth? Yes. Hmm. And okay. you can apply that to any discipline, theological down to quarks. Going back to the, um, I don't know, thought experiment, whatever, of building, how do you build a Sam Harris? Take, let's say that Judeo-Christianity is a, it, well, it is, it's a model for reality. 
this is how reality is. It's built up of bum, 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 bum. Okay. Sam Harris has his model. It's built of up of bum, 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 bum. So each of them using this have the capacity to describe reality, um, install certain practices in their life, which attempt to recreate or create a certain reality in the future, which of them are more capable of producing that which they, they're with that model in their minds. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So how would, and if, if that is the definition of what is true, that's a challenging situation for Sam Harris to explain himself out of. Okay, here's here's another here's another way to think about it. Is it easier for Sam Harris as our as our archetypal um atheist nihilist? You know, he he's not that. I, yeah, in fairness he's not that exactly. But but he is an atheist, of course. Um is it easier to evangelize atheism and advance a culture that um, arguably does um, immoral things on some secluded island? Is it easier for Sam Harris to go there and change them in meaningful and positive ways? Or someone with a Judeo-Christian model of reality. Who can evangelize better? Evangelize in like a very basic idea of it. And take the model in their heads of reality and try to use that in order to advance this other culture. Well, that's why I asked you earlier, like about Sam Harris is like what's his call to action and I think I think I think I think what I think that would come into play here is like what do how does it help me or why is it great or what deep unknown truth inside of me does it unlock that I've always known is there now is just so much so compelling that kind of explains the world around me and my place in it. Um, like, I don't know if Sam, I don't know enough about it to, you know, like, like I said, you know, his, his big things was it liberates you from hatred. It makes you more compassionate. Um, I'm, I'm sure you can sort of yeah, yeah glean yeah. where sure. he's coming from there. Um, so we've sort of discussed, um, our juvenile juvenile cells selves being shooken up uh, potentially by free wills and illusion. How would how would you go about explaining to your child? Let's say they're more advanced in age; they're thirteen or fourteen. Abraham just discovered uh, the dark <laughs> corner of the internet <laughs> from the Atlantic. The free wills and illusion. And he comes to you all angsty and upset, sits on his face. Says, Dad, 
free will and illusion, and you put that 400-pound weight back on the rack after (laughs) your back squats. (laughs) And uh, Landon sends his servants away. What do you... uh, What do you, how, how do you guys, uh, can, how, how do you guys explain it to him? Hmm. Well, if I've just got done squatting 400 pounds, I think we're already in an alternate universe of some sort. So I don't, I don't know how it plays out there, but, um, interesting, interesting question. I suppose, um, to some degree, I think I, I might, I don't know. At least my inclination is to do something a little flippant and and goofy, like kind of knock him over or, or mess with him, or you know, steal his hat or something. And because um, I feel like I don't know, a kid might that might like shock a kid, you know, in in a more in a way that their prefrontal cortex hasn't developed enough to appreciate. You know, I, I think this. <laughs> take them out back no but you know do i because I, I think there's something to that that is true it's like oh so you know i i didn't have a choice it's predestined you know free will isn't a little you know so i, I you know might kind of goof around with him a little bit on that and if I, I would assume he would press a little bit at least if it was like a real thoughtful type of thing you know if he was actually bothered enough to you know ask his dad about something like that um I mean, I think, I mean, I would ask him what the arguments he read were, and I would pro- probably let that dictate things, but I I don't know, like that, f- I remember reading that example with the flower, and it wasn't directly, this that flower example wasn't directly targeted towards free will arguments, but just more or less towards like material reductionism in general, because I feel like the best arguments, well, the arguments against it are either material reductionism or god predestining everything i feel like those are i don't know like i don't know if there's any arguments that really don't fit those two categories um well i mine would be really easy i'd just sit him down and be like son there's only two things that are free in life your will and your last name oh what up (laughs) that's good and then he would say fraught no there's one thing (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I think in in some way, I mean, it depends on what what you mean by free, right? So what is the, what does free mean in free will? Because this, yeah, and I think that's, that's something that um, all of the, I guess, I I mean, I, granted, I haven't heard Sam Harris directly, I I guess, uh, at least the smattering of arguments against free will, more or less. Uh, at least that I, I guess I'm referring to here are more from the the articles, the, the Atlantic and the Scientific American article. But, um, but what is meant? But like that's something that none of them ask about, or like kind of define as an operational definition, right? Which, like, well, if you're, <laughs> does, does something that we don't define exist? Well, it depends. On, you know, it depends on how you define it. Um, and I think that's where like at least theologically, like there's, there's a little more meat to the term freedom in that, like, you know, is as the ability to do what 
one ought or the ability to fulfill one's nature um, is kind of a more meaty version of freedom. Whereas I know I've heard other, uh, I know Fulton Sheen's big on like kind of drawing this distinction between freedom and license. Um, whereas license is just the ability to do whatever you're kind of suspended in space and you, you have the complete direction, like the billiard ball, like where you're the billiard ball that can backtrack and go in the corner pocket instead of the side pocket. Um, so like free will, like if you're free, you're, you're kind of, there's no restraint for you to do what you ought to do for you to like fulfill your nature as a human being. To some degree, that's not determined by you, right? And I think that gives a lot of credibility to Sam Harris's arguments that, like, yeah, you didn't choose your parents, you didn't choose your genes, you know, some people are short, some people are tall, I'll probably never squat 400 pounds, uh, you know, there's just, like, a lot of things that you don't get to choose and that influence you in very powerful ways. So, but, like, there's still this ability to work within that to kind of fulfill whatever it is that you were made for in some sense, uh, to kind of fulfill your nature, one, as a human, which, like, I suppose human nature, I think we would all agree, like, kind of re revolves around um, us being made in the image of God and, like, God being our creator and our ultimate destiny and things like that. Um, but um, so that's our nature we're, we're kind of meant to fill. So if we're free in a theological sense, in a meatier, fuller sense of the word, we're able to do that. Um, anything that keeps us from that is kind of restricting our freedom, and that's like where sin comes in. Um, so like, free will, so I guess in some way, with only license we have, if, if or the only free will, if you, if you want to kind of attribute, like license is equivalent to like what a lot of kind of modern folks would describe as free will. Like the only license slash free will that we have is to, to sin or to like error or to move away from God because you know God's always pulling us toward towards Him. Um, so like in that sense we're predestined, but like we have license to, I guess reject that. Um, might be like yeah. So I, I guess in that that sense like I, I think that's why God's God's existence is the best argument I think. Uh, against free will because um mm -hmm. yeah because of that so and if we had free will to do good to me that would in some way detract from god's goodness if it's us and not god doing the good you know versus us conforming to like a goodness that pre-exists us and then that would also make god responsible for our sin if that weren't the you know if we were you know if that weren't the case Right. If you could, you know, the um, the films center around the chiastic, chiasmic, chiatic year <laughs> of 1955 is holding some sort of cosmic significance for the whole universe. And if you got, you guys have one year to go back to, just one year, and all you got to do is say the year. You don't have to say why. Mm. What year would it be? You have the opportunity to go fix something. Like the biggest fork in the road? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your biggest fork in the road you wonder about. 
or appreciate. <laughs> it doesn't have to be regretful. I guess. Yeah, you could, I guess you've lived a great life, Lynn. <laughs> I just want to relive the goodness. <laughs> I mean, I... Well, or how about this? The one... So let's pick the year of the thing we would change and the year of the thing we would want to preserve no matter what. You know what I mean? To like, to like you get to choose one day or one whatever, one year. Like, I've got a specific day. <laughs> In mind that I would be like, all right, no one can touch this. This has to stay the same, you know. And then the one year would be like, yeah, there's something different happened. Okay, but is it one day or one year? Year. Well, I, I would. Say, let's do year. Yeah, let's do year. Let's do let's year. Do year. Mystery, mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. let's uh, let's bring us on home here. Um, did a little bit of philosophizing since uh, departing from uh, the plot points of Back to the Future. Here's here's how we're going to bring it home. Wait, before we bring it home, we got another episode coming up. Ooh, we do. I think we got Matt hosting it. Matt, what, what we got coming up on part three of the Sci-Fi Speech series? Part three of the Sci-Fi Speech series is the... Let's see, the original trilogy, there's so many movies, offshoots of it now. The original trilogy was amazing to start, decent for the second one. The third one was garbage. I feel like that's a lot of trilogies. Uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, The OG Jurassic Park is where we're going. We're hearing from Dr. Malcolm. We're hearing from John Hammond. uh, Mostly Dr. Malcolm in... uh, yeah, talking about nature, man. Life finds Isn't a way. Isn't it life? Life finds a way. <laughs> November, <laughs> November 12th, 1955, Doc recognizes as potentially having some sort of cosmic significance, as that's the day that Marty McFly left 1955 after successfully reuniting his parents in a more meaningful way. It is the year that old Biff went back to to give young Biff the old uh, the gray sports almanac. Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis thought that 1955 had some sort of cosmic significance. What are our years of cosmic significance? Mm. We we're gonna give ourselves two different uh, years to make the question a little bit more fun. You have one year that you can go back to to change something and one year that you get to just relive the glory. Maybe not necessarily. Pre- I would say preserve. They, you can protect from any other changes. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, slightly different. Yeah, you can protect from any changes. We shoot. Go ahead, go ahead. I got to rethink my answer, but... So you, you can answer both both at the same time here. What, um... Uh, some, someone take lead. What you want to change, and then what you want to preserve from that change. But then it has to come after, but... You, you have some liberty with the question. All right. What would you change? I think let's do that first. Round Robin. Mine's 2011. Mike. Oh. Wow. My first knee-jerk reaction, I'm not saying I would do anything different, but 2015 and 2007. Hold on a minute. (laughs) 
I'm tying this back to the movie. Marty goes back. <laughs> he doesn't change anything. The whole point is to undo stuff he accidentally changed that he shouldn't have changed. Because, like, everything adds up. I, I can't... Even, even the things I'd want to change, like, I don't want to because... I still think. Well, there there are a few things that. So that's just my that's my answer. Um, No, can't change anything. But he did try to change. He bought the gray sports almanac because he wanted to give it. Yeah, but then they ended up with Trump. Younger, well, he wanted to bring it back home. Hey, what? What? The corollaries between the way Biff looks in movie two and Trump are kind of close. Landon would change nothing. Okay, the year you'd want to preserve from any change? 2019. You know what? I'm going to throw you guys a curveball. 2007. (laughs) That's deep. (laughs) Deep. Uh, 2014, I would say. I would, I I think, um, the biggest inflection point for... You would... You would have kicked Mike out of. <laughs> you would have kicked Mike out, wasn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh wait, no, that's the preserve here. Never mind. All right. That's a wide range. That's uh, we're only we're only what thirty two, and we're nine. We're a fifteen year range. A whole year of dwelling in the past. Mm. And you were like in that younger. I've had dreams like that before. Yeah. Huh. Well, it's been great. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like now we should have put the the uh, next episode sort of thing, but that's all right. <laughs>